Hello and welcome to Feminist Fridays, your weekly intersectional dose of self-empowerment and equality. And we are back with a bang for 2021. I'm your host, Sarah Liberty, coming to your airways from Sydney. And this week we have a guest who is the owner of a training business for mental health professionals in creative therapies. Her name is Jackie Short, and she's dedicated to using the power of art, music, drama, and play to enable therapists to provide mental health services that are inclusive and respectful of diversity. So much yes to that. But before we meet Jackie, I'd like to kick off with a track called My Life Music by Felix the Housecat and Ali Love. Because what would life be like without music, my friends? Life is music. Sweet sounds that help you take My life is music. 
Life is music. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to Feminist Fridays. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I'd like to start by asking where you grew up and what were some of your early influences? Sure thing. So I grew up in Sydney by a beach and I had lots of influences around creativity in my early years. Some of the things that really encouraged my own creativity and my work ultimately in this field were being exposed to literature and plays pretty early on. So one of my aunties gave my sister and I the C.S. Lewis Narnia series, which I absolutely loved as a kid. And I loved it. Wasn't it fantastic? I love that whole genre of fantasy fiction that celebrates children's independence, courage, teamwork, and belief in other worlds and other beings yet to be discovered. Mm. I used to read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and then I used to try walking into wardrobes to see if I could get into Narnia (laughs) as a a child, obviously, but um, very, very similar, I think, influences to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There are still some wardrobes that look awfully tempting to me, particularly those with really big furry coats. So I think um, I, I think that was a wonderful start. I also was really encouraged by my mother, who's, who was a teacher in craft camps and candle making, painting, tie dyeing, afternoons of making things from reverse garbage in Marrickville, and encouraging being encouraged not only in structured ways but also in in really having my imagination um, supported in doing things like building cubby houses for ants in the backyard and adventure parties for my dollies. All those sort of things were just part of a a very inspiring creative childhood, I think. I was very lucky to have. I, You know, I have to admit I had a similar childhood. I I grew up in the country, but I was always making cubby houses. Um, But then at school I became very into uh, drama and I became the drama captain when I was in Year 12 because I was, um, drama was one of my things, my passions. So I can totally relate to being really, you know, to loving plays and and all of those sorts of creative outlets. Mm, It's it's fantastic, isn't it? I remember my my mother again took my sister and I to a pantomime when we were little and it was, um, she took us to a few, but I really loved Peter Pan. And there was a particular scene in the pantomime when, Tinkerbell drank the poison that was meant for Peter that Captain Hook had prepared to kill him and her light was starting to fade and the narrator Mm. jumped on stage and said, boys and girls, Tinkerbell's light's fading, but it will, she'll live if you believe in fairies. And I jumped (gasps) up on my chair and come, I believe in fairies. (laughs) The light came on and it was such an inspiration. If you just believe enough, things happen. It was so beautiful. So true. So you've already sort of touched on this, but what led you on to the career path that you're on today? Did you always aspire to work in the mental health sector or was there an aha moment or something you witnessed or experienced that made you realise it was the direction that you wanted to go in? It wasn't something that I knew straight away I wanted to do. When I was about 13 and 14, I was lucky enough with my family to go on a trip to the US and it was around the same time that the space shuttle was being developed and launched and I really wanted to be an astronaut. I was super excited about space and flying and all things like that. And then I 
arrived in year 11 and 12 and just couldn't cope with the higher maths and was devastated. Mm. And it was around that time that my parents separated, which was an incredibly painful time for our family. And Mm. I was involved in a youth group at the time that really helped me, the social support. And we had a lovely young youth leader who was studying psychology. And I used to talk lots to him and he gave me lots of support in the group and individually. And I was really inspired by what psychology and counselling could do for young people. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the, I guess, one of the early seeds that I had that I wanted to maybe move into that field. And I remember a particular retreat program that he facilitated and all of the young people in the group, about 15, 16 at the time, were given a paper bag. We had a collage exercise and we could cut out words or pictures that inspired us or said something about who we were. And we were encouraged to put on the outside of the bag things we were happy to share about ourselves and things on the inside of the bag that we wanted to keep private And I really loved that idea about working creatively and sharing only as much as you felt safe doing, that you could do something but it could, and it could be important, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be had words put to it. And I think that's what I love about creative therapies. You can share as much or as little as you feel safe or comfortable or or, or it's useful for you to do. So that was definitely inspiring when I was younger. So tell us a bit more about your current occupation. So I understand that you're the owner of a training business for mental health professionals in creative therapies and you love encouraging others to think differently. Can you That's expand true. on this? And yeah. Sure, I can. I can. I, I love the quote by Einstein who aptly said, we can't solve a problem with the same thinking that got us into the problem. And mm. I think while critical thinking can solve lots of problems, it can't solve all problems, especially problems of the heart. So what, as the director of Sydney Centre for Creative Change, I do is help counsellors who want to help people think and feel differently. And many counsellors struggle especially to engage children in therapy. So I help them by building practical skills in art and play therapy using our live online training events. So we have a range of courses from introductory 60-minute webinars right through to 200-hour certificate courses to build skills and confidence for psychologists, social workers, counsellors, and all range of mental health workers in play, art, storytelling, sand play, and drama therapy. And what I love and believe so passionately in about art therapies is that they bypass logical thinking processes, tap deeply Mm. into emotion, memory, and senses and allow us to really explore what matters to us. So I'm actually someone who has experienced both clinical depression and anxiety. So, And I also know that talk-based therapy isn't for everyone and I have found music and art therapy to be extremely helpful. I, Like I mentioned, I collage, I paint, um, I DJ. Can you tell us more about the art therapy and the psychology behind it and how it can help diverse people? Yeah, sure. Um, As you've had an experience of, I think the creative arts can work in lots of really powerful ways therapeutically. So when I think about art therapy and when I describe it to other people, I often think about what it isn't before I think about what it is because a lot of people, when they think about art, they have a lot of associations that aren't always positive. So when I talk about art therapy, I'd like to say it's not a drawing class or a paint and sip, as fun as these can be for some people. Art therapy is even not even about sometimes what the art looks like, but it's more about, and it's not about the end product, but the process of creating something. 
the approach I take in the art therapy groups that I run online is very much about giving people the opportunity to explore and experiment and make anything with whatever materials that they might have and then reflect on the process of making it. So while what people are making may be important, what's more important often is the process or the way that people might engage with art. So to what extent they feel okay about making mistakes or trying new things or uh, making a mess, for instance. So being able to reflect on the process and the how is often more important than the what. And what can mm. sometimes happen when we're really relaxed and we're, when we're into the flow of making art or making marks at least on a page, we can feel relaxed and in the moment. And I think that very mindful being with the process is something that can be healing and restorative and relaxing in and of itself. So part of what's helpful about and healing about art therapy is that it can take us away from whatever difficult space or set of circumstances we might be in to be in a process that can be relaxing and and generative in many ways. So that's one part of its usefulness. And the other part is that when we've completed some sort of process or some product, we can sit back then and reflect personally on what that's meant for us, if anything. And if we want to share that, we can. And it's often in that meaning-making after that we can get some insights about self and some greater mm. understanding of not just what is but what's next, what is helpful for us to do to get out of this difficult spot we might be in at the moment. So it's very individual. And one of the things that I don't do and I don't, I, I don't find helpful so much in the art therapy that I practice is making interpretations about people's art. So mm. we had a, a little boy in one of our art therapy groups years ago who was painting lots of black sky and, and using lots of dark colours and, and one of our assistants went over and said, oh, it must be really hard for you at home. And, and he said, why? And she said, oh, you're painting such dark themes. And he said, no, by the time I get to the paint table, all the good colours have gone. <laughs> but I think sometimes it's... We, we we just kind of... So interpreting isn't always that helpful. There's so many mm. personal meanings that we might make for ourselves so what I really like about the art therapy method that we practice which is more person-centered approach is very much um, inviting encouraging supporting but encouraging people to make their own meaning from their art so it sounds like you primarily work with young people is that correct so most of what I do at the moment is run this training business so we have over 11 different skilled practitioners who have specialties in different forms of creative therapies and we run different types of training programs. So the art therapy that I'm currently doing is online and that's for adults. But mm. my background is more working with children. I've worked as a school counsellor and in private practice with children, adolescents and parents and adults over the years. But predominantly now I'm doing training work. I'd love to know what have been some of the highlights or the most impactful moments of your career so feel free to share an example or two if you like I'd love to so I've thought about three things that I'd like to share just brief little stories that um, are obviously de-identified so nobody will recognize themselves if they hear this and the first was my very first child I saw in a counseling capacity I was so excited I was 23 I'd finally graduated in psychology and and I was working at last with children, which is what I thought I'd always wanted to do ever since I was about 16. Mm -hmm. And this little boy showed up and I had a checklist of 18 questions that I was expected to ask him at this intake session, all highly personal questions. 
and I hadn't met him before and didn't really kind of know what I was doing and just that I had to ask all these questions. And the first question was, um, are you angry that your mother is an alcoholic? (laughs) I looked up from asking the question and he'd run out of the office. He'd run out Mm. of the building. I heard the screen door slam and I looked down the street and his grandmother who he lived with gave me a wave and I never saw either of them again. So that first disastrous example of working with children really let me know that if I was going to work with children successfully, I had to learn a developmentally appropriate method for counselling children. And that started me on my trajectory to play an art therapy. And that was as bad as that experience was for me and probably for this boy, no doubt, too, that it convinced me that there are other ways that we can work in counselling that don't involve talking too much and certainly asking questions and difficult questions of vulnerable clients. About 10 years ago, so moving on quite a bit from there, I took the first group of 10-year-old children on a bridge climb. I don't know if bridge climb still exists, but I know you can still climb the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And the company who owned it at the time, Bridge Climb, contracted me to establish whether these 10-year-olds were going to be emotionally and physically ready to do this climb before they dropped the minimum climbing age. So I ran some pre and post focus groups for this group of, I think we had 15 of them, that involved drawing pictures of what they thought would happen to them on the Harbour Bridge and then what did happen. So we got them to draw before and after. And there was one child who was a little bit more anxious than most And before we climbed up, and it was sort of at dusk, so it was getting dark as well, and they were all get up and they'd done their training, they're all on their ropes and and carabiners and everything. But this little boy drew a picture of himself falling off the bridge and Mm. then being eaten by sharks circling below. So he was really scared. Anyway, he's still determined to do it. After he completed the walk, his final picture that he drew in a group with everybody else was him with a big smile on his face on the bridge. But he told me he didn't think it was challenging enough and so he drew next to the bridge a roller coaster that he recommended we we put on the bridge to make it a bit more fun for kids. <laughs> so he did this whole 180 from someone who thought he was going to be falling and eaten to someone who wasn't challenged enough. And the thrill of this, their own success and the knowledge that they were the youngest children ever to climb the bridge was one of the most delightful parts of my career. And being able to ascertain their feelings through drawing rather than asking them on a you know 10 point scale what they would improve and how they were feeling but doing it qualitatively rather than quantitatively just made so much sense so that was a beautiful experience and lastly last year I was running a five-week online art therapy group and one gentleman in the group who worked as a therapist was really exhausted and close to even an early retirement he was just so burnt out Mm-hmm. Over the course of the art-making time we had, he drew a series of abstract pictures that represented trees and birds to him and then finally created a huge nest out of strips of fabric and collage materials he had nearby. He said he wasn't thinking at all about what it meant for him while he was making this nest but found such energy and joy in making it. And during the sharing time as he was talking about how he felt, he stopped with a big aha moment and realised that what he was making was his own nest that he needed to build. He'd been working so hard last year supporting others during COVID that he just neglected to look after himself. So he identified things in the nest that reflected people and things that need he needed more in his life to support him and made a commitment to do more of that. And it was such an emotional session and saw an excellent therapist be able to remain at work with a much healthier self-care balance. Wow, they are such amazing examples. 
And just to go back to the Harbour Bridge example, I totally agree with that, boy. There needs to be a roller coaster on the Harbour Bridge <laughs> because <laughs> I love a good roller coaster. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you did just touch on COVID. As the world has been hit by COVID, it's, um, you know, statistically proven many more people are struggling with their mental health, particularly anxiety and depression. As people in different countries face quarantine or confinement, I myself was in confinement in Paris for four months last year. So and it certainly impacted my mood. Have you noticed an upturn in the number of people seeking help for their mental health? I personally, as I mentioned, turn to painting and DJing as a way to practice self-care and switch off from the societal anxiety that's going on at the moment. I think you're spot on. There has been a massive increase in the demand for mental health services since COVID. In yeah. some ways, it's not been a bad thing because it's normalised help-seeking and the fact that we all need help in difficult times and in different ways. So our practice has been really, really inundated and most of my colleagues also had waiting lists that were up to a few weeks long, even a few months long last year. It was just We were just also incredibly busy. I think also people have been encouraged during lockdown periods to, to look to simpler ways of being and to also mm. look at creative pastimes that can take us beyond ourselves. So painting, drawing, sewing, cooking, gardening have all seen huge, big increases in, in, in use rates, which is wonderful to, to know as well. Mm. Okay. Um, I wanted to also ask, as this is Feminist Friday's podcast, how has feminism been a part of your journey? And just to be clear, I'm an intersectional feminist, so I believe feminism is about equality for all. I think, um, Sarah, I'd, I'd align with your your position on on feminism. I would believe that um, that it is something that we can champion for for all, and particularly for all who don't feel equal. I was raised by very strong female role models in my mother, my grandmother, my aunties and my teachers. I went to a Catholic high school and many of the nuns that I saw around me, I believe, were really strong feminists who encouraged me to respect myself and others and expected that as women there was nothing we weren't capable of doing or being. Mm. For me, the values of feminism dovetail with those of equality, diversity and inclusivity. And yeah. I'm really proud that my business, Sydney Centre for Creative Change, offers a range of free and paid creative therapy events that seek to celebrate and support diversity and, and inclusivity and that we're always looking to grow our program offerings to do even more of that. We've got an equity scholarship program operating at the moment to make it mm -hmm. easier for mental health people, uh, workers to access our training as well. That's so wonderful. And I I too was raised by strong strong women, strong female role models, and went to a school. I went to an all-girls private school where we were taught that women could do anything. And I've always held on to that. And actually, to go back to one of your earlier answers, one day, one of my aspirations was to be an astronaut, but then I realized. I was a little bit more of a humanitarian person. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's great that your centre is so inclusive and respects diversity. So 
For someone who may be struggling with their mental health at the moment and finding talk-based therapy isn't quite working, what advice would you give them? I think the most important thing I'd want to say to anyone who might be struggling is don't give up and don't give up finding the right person and approach that can help you. There are millions of mental health professionals around the world that you can access and hundreds of approaches that can be tried. So if you've had a less than optimal experience, don't give up because there's other people out there. And if talk-based therapy isn't working for you or hasn't worked for you, perhaps try a different form. Perhaps try a form of art therapy or music or drama therapy. Find something that is going to be a much better fit and find a good connection with the person who can help you through this difficult time. I couldn't agree with you more on that point either. I myself, you know, I've had CBT therapy in the past, but it's just not for me and it's you know, helped to an extent, but then I plateaued. So then I tried DBT and also, also, I guess just personally started doing my own art therapy without any sort of structure around it. So I really echo your sentiment in don't give up. You know, you might not find the, the right fit of a mental health professional, the first person you look for, but you will find someone, you will find help. There's always someone there to help you. So I think finally what I wanted to just say is where can my listeners find you, follow you and support the amazing work that you're doing and where is your centre based? So feel free to plug your website, any social media projects you're currently working on here. Thanks, Sarah. So we're an online operation at the moment. We... uh, COVID has seen us um, have an amazing opportunity to reach people around Australia and even internationally in the last year, but in a much bigger way than we have previously. So the team of trainers that I have working with me and myself have been historically travelling around Australia, delivering training and delivering groups, but that's not really possible at the moment. So all of our stuff is online. So the business is Sydney Centre for Creative Change. We've got a website and a Facebook page so you can look us up there Uh, the big thing that we've got coming up is another of the five-week art therapy groups so our next five-week group starts on Thursday the 4th of March it's in the evening it goes for an hour and a half from 7 to 8 30 and we only take six people in that group so we've just got a few spaces left so if anyone was interested they could jump on the website and book in for that so everybody every adult is welcome and we have for those people who are mental health practitioners or students interested We've got a range, as I mentioned before, of short and medium-term courses that people can access in art, music, drama, play, sand play and storytelling therapies online. But the art therapy group is the one that I'm most excited about coming up and that's just in a few short weeks we start it again. That sounds amazing. I just wanted to quickly, one more question. How does, how does, I've, okay, one of the things I've tried is horse therapy, which has been amazing. But how does sand therapy work? So sand play therapy, there's a few different ways that people use it. I'll tell you how I use it. I've got a range of different trays. So when I'm working in person, I might have uh, small, medium and large trays. And some of those trays, mostly I'd work with um, with sand that would be like sand bit sand that you'd get from a hardware store. We don't use beach sand because 
you're not allowed to, and it's got microorganisms in it. So it's just regular sandpit sand. And it's a tray that um, would fit sort of on an average size desk. I'm not very good with numbers, so I can't tell you the dimensions off the top of my head. But it's a tray big enough that you can choose from, I've probably got about three or 4,000 miniature figurines that I'd have set out uh, when I'm working in this sort of way. And people can choose as many or as few of those tiny little toys, if you like, little objects that might represent people, emotions, relationships, situations. And rather than telling me about what's happening or what has happened or what might happen, you can create in the sand a scene using those small miniature figurines. Wow, that just sounds awesome. It's really fun. Yeah, it sounds so fun. I might go and get myself some sand now. It's given me a to-do list. I need to go on a roller coaster and get some sand. Um, (laughs) You've got a busy weekend coming up, Sarah. (laughs) So, Jackie, thank you so much for your time. It's been really insightful and such a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. I've enjoyed being here. Pleasure. Well, that has been another fierce episode of Feminist Fridays for this week. But before you tune out, I'd like to leave you with a track called Burning by Gorgon City because, as Paris Hilton says, that's hot. Thinking you could be the one to stop the fire in me.